You're listening to InfoTrack. To learn more about our guests or listen to past shows, visit InfoTrack online at InfoTrackRadio.com. Once again, here's Chris Whitting. Parasitic infections are common in kids in low-resource U.S. communities, according to recent research. Joining us to talk about this is Teresa Gildner, Assistant Professor of Biological Anthropology in Arts and Sciences at Washington University in St. Louis. Professor, what are the ages of the children who were affected in your study? We were working with school-aged children aged about half a year to 14 years of age. We're primarily interested in school-aged kids because they tend to have the highest burden of infection in populations around the world. Roughly what percentage of the children you tested had these infections? We found about a third, so 38%. About a third of the children, even in this small sample that we worked with in the Mississippi Delta, had signs of infection, which was quite concerning, a little higher than we anticipated. And it's common to think that this type of thing happens in poor rural communities. Is that your finding as well, or is it more widespread, do you think? We looked primarily in rural communities for this study, uh, just given the agriculture and the soil there. Also, the fact that this was in the Mississippi Delta, where it's quite warm and humid, which the types of parasites we look at in the soil, they really like those types of conditions. It helps them to survive and spread. But more recently, we collected data this past year in a more urban area, and we're still analyzing that. But we did find signs of infection even in an urban area, although there might be different types of infections. Uh, For example, we seem to find signs of infection spread by stray animals like dogs, where it might be more common in an urban area. So we're still looking at that data. In the warmer climates, I assume that these infections can be spread just by walking around in bare feet outdoors, right? Yes, it depends on the type of parasite. So, for example, hookworm is very common historically in the southern United States, and that does spread through the soil. And the larvae hatch in the soil, and then they're very small, hard to see, but they can burrow into people's skin. So, if you go outside barefoot in an area where there might be hookworm in the soil, you can't see the little larvae, then yes, they could potentially burrow into your foot, and that's how you would be infected. Some of the other ones we study. They're eggs in the soil, so microscopic eggs, tiny, can't see them without a microscope, and they can get in the water, dirt on people's hands. That's why we work with children in particular, because children are outside playing in the dirt, might be putting things in their mouths, not realizing that there might be these tiny little eggs there in the soil, and that's other ways people can get infected. If the children are infected and they grow up, they don't lose the infection. I would assume it just stays in them and can cause some long-term issues, right? Right. So the children can be infected, again, depending on a specific type of parasitic worm. Worms do live for a very long time. They can live for a few years, potentially, in your body. They do eventually die. But the issue is you can continually be reinfected because these are in the environment. And unless there are changes, for example, in the infrastructure, or the sewage or sanitation system to try to fix these problems, then they're just going to continue to be in the environment and people will be continually exposed and reinfected. So yes, it could last throughout their entire lives, potentially, or at least to their childhood. And to answer the other part of your question, yes, these long-lasting infections, especially if you're continually being reinfected over and over again, has been shown in many parts of the world that this has been linked with a range of negative outcomes in development, both in terms of physical growth, so children may not grow as tall because they're constantly being infected in these worms that live in your intestines, might be stealing your nutrients, which keep you from, from growing. And also in terms of school performance, there's been studies, primarily in other countries, that show that children who are infected 
They might feel sick, and again, they might be losing important nutrients to these parasites. They might not do as well in school. They might have a hard time focusing. They might miss school because they don't feel well, and their test scores are lower. So it can have a range of negative developmental outcomes. We're talking with Teresa Gildner, Assistant Professor of Biological Anthropology and Arts and Sciences at Washington University in St. Louis. It seems upsetting, disturbing, that in our country, which is, you know, we've had hundreds of years of advancement, that this is still happening in communities. Is there something the government needs to be doing to reduce these cases? Yes, it's a really complicated issue. I mean, to your point, we have made a lot of progress. Infections used to be very common across the country, and you know, we don't talk about these infections anymore. And I think that speaks to how successful we've been in many parts of the country in improving health and improving infrastructure. A lot of changes linked with you know, just improving households, infrastructure, putting screens and windows, changing the way we build houses, better sanitation systems. So we do have the tools and we have used them successfully in many parts of the country. But there needs to be more attention in low-income areas where these systems are failing. So people might have sewage systems that are no longer working and they need to be updated. And that requires investment from the government, both at the national level, but also locally, to invest in these failing systems to help prevent these infections and keep them from getting into the environment. And then also educating people is important too, since we don't talk about these types of infections anymore. So people may not know that they're an issue and people who are exposed may not know that they should get tested or be aware of strategies to prevent infection. Like we were just talking about wearing shoes, for example, in an area where they might be exposed to infection. So it is complicated, but I do think having a mix of education to raise awareness and then also really focusing on investing in failing infrastructure to keep these infections in check would be really important next steps. In terms of symptoms, how do you know if you have one of these infections? I mean, are there issues with your intestines that you would notice, or what might alert you to this problem? It depends on the type of infection that you have. To go back to hookworm, which we were talking about earlier, that again was quite common in the southern U.S. in the past, that has been linked with anemia. So it might lead to these other types of outcomes. So anemia is when your iron is low in your body, and that means that it's hard for your red blood cells to carry oxygen throughout your body. So people tend to feel very tired and very sick. And so if someone lives in an area where infection might be a concern and they know that they can get tested, that's more a routine type of medical test to get tested for anemia, that might be one sign. But yes, there could be also, especially if you have a really heavy infection where you have a lot of parasitic worms living in your body, it could lead to intestinal discomfort. So in some very severe cases, in addition to just feeling uncomfortable in terms of your intestinal health, there could be, in very severe cases, things like intestinal blockage, although that's fairly uncommon. So just in terms of paying attention to having intestinal symptoms, especially if you live in an area where you know this could be a concern and there are issues related to sanitation and sewage backups, might be a risk factor. What about vacationers, Americans who maybe go overseas or go to other countries? Is there a risk of infection in those areas? Yes, depending where you're going, you want to be careful and be aware of the local sanitation issues. For example, one of the main things to think about might be water. So making sure that the water you're drinking is safe. For example, I do a lot of my research. When I'm not in the U.S., I go to Ecuador and work there. And I know there that the water, tap water, is not safe to drink. So I always drink bottled water to make sure that I'm not exposed. So when in doubt, I would say drink bottled water. And even for food, if you're visiting a place where you're not sure that 
there's sanitation systems in place and there's enough resources in the kitchens to prepare food safely in restaurants, for example, trying to avoid things like lettuce or fruit that don't have a peel. Those might also be sources of infection potentially with these parasites that are in the soil that get onto the produce that you then accidentally consume those eggs. So again, when I'm in Ecuador, for example, I tend to only eat produce that has a peel on it unless I'm sure that I'm in a restaurant where they have the resources to safely prepare the food. So just making sure that you're cleaning anything that you're putting into your body and drinking clean water. Teresa Gildner, Assistant Professor of Biological Anthropology in Arts and Sciences at Washington University in St. Louis. Professor, thank you so much for joining us today. Well, thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for having me. You're listening to InfoTrack, a production of Syndication Networks.